Hello, I'm Deirdre Sotarelli, the host of the Repivot Project podcast, dedicated to giving you actionable strategies and tactics as we explore the art and science of change. We'll talk with some of the brightest minds, people who are driven to be curious, and folks who have a courageous heart as we explore the theme of transformation. Are you looking to change things up personally, launch a business, or keep your brand relevant in today's marketplace? Our guests will give you the tools to push those boundaries and to take risks. Think of them as friends you haven't met yet. Come join other fellow explorers because we believe that by creating a collective sense of purpose and by sharing tribal wisdom, we can lift one another up one episode at a time. The concept is taking the the fine art world and the street, the graffiti world, which never really get along in throughout history and kind of making them clash. Here for a period of time to create something that will last forever. In this episode, I talk with Kyle Wallach, a pioneer in refined graffiti. It's fair to say that Kyle didn't start out as a graffiti artist, although he has always been a creative spirit. However, a significant health crisis, dogged determination, a strong work ethic taught by his family, and an abandoned easel have now brought him to the attention of art galleries up and down the East Coast and has also caught the eyes of other artists like Cardi B and Missy Elliott. Kyle, you have had quite the journey since we've last been together. You are a pioneer in something called refined graffiti, and I love the push and pull of that term. Can you describe you. what you mean by refined gra graffiti? I had a, a big gallery reception with Quigley and Company in Westport, Connecticut in October out of 2023-2022. And everyone kept asking me at the reception, there's like 200, 250 people. I probably got asked 200 times what kind of art I make. And I've made so many different kinds of art in my life. I've made from robots to cartoon characters. Lately, I've been doing some oil paintings and I couldn't, I couldn't answer the question, which, and it was kind of embarrassing. I go to bed that night and then the next morning I woke up and I was like, it's refined graffiti. And essentially the concept is taking the, the fine art world and the street, the graffiti world, which never really get along in throughout history and kind of making them clash. And that doesn't happen without people like Shepard Ferry, Banksy, Keith Haring. Being in New York, I, I've always, I saw Keith Haring stuff all the time, and especially going to Art Basel and just the different conventions that I go to. You see their art all the time and they're really the pioneers of, of having graffiti and street art be accepted by, by the galleries and galleries accepting them. So refined graffiti to me is taking the roots of graffiti and what I was doing in New York early on and clashing it with the fine art world and hopefully, you know, meshing the two. And creating my own genre within, within the art community where you have pop art with Andy Warhol. He really was the one who made pop art absolutely massive, especially right. his Marilyn Monroe selling for 95 million, which isn't too bad. It's kind of my own lane within, within the fine art world, but it's also paying homage to the, the great artists that were, were there before me and allow me to pave that that road within the art world. What is it that you think was the obstacle to galleries starting to embrace this work? Was it just a, a lack of 
education. About- a lot of graffiti artists didn't go to art school. They didn't, they were just, I mean, essentially they were just doing illegal art and right. they weren't doing art to be sold. They were doing art so that the communities they were in were able to see it. You know, they were trying to spread a message. I watched a documentary about Banksy not, not too long ago. And it talks about how he had his first art shows in like dive bars in London. And all of a sudden his buddy was selling his art. And all of a sudden he was sitting down with some of the top art collectors in the world, almost laughing about the expense that they were willing to spend on, on this art. So I think it was just, there's throughout history, there's always been a shift in, in art and what people are looking for and, and what society is gravitating towards that shift is, is get, is going towards kind of the more graffiti esque look within art. It is a very expressive way, form of art and you can produce a lot of it. Spray paint dries pretty quickly. So, you know, especially for me, like I'm constantly making stuff. When I do oil paintings, it's kind of frustrating sometimes because it takes forever to dry and you got to wait for this layer to dry and that layer to dry where we're using spray paint, which is the origin of graffiti. It dries quickly and for artists that like to work quickly, it's really something, something that we enjoy. It's kind of a shift in the art world. And even at Art Basel this year, I saw a lot of, a lot more I'll call it street art than I had in the past, which, which is cool for me to see. You go from the Picassos, you go all the way back to, you know, Michelangelo and all of them, they had their certain style and that style is still studied by artists like me today, but we're not necessarily painting like that. I'm looking at what they were expressing and I'm expressing it in my own, in my own form of art, which, you know, happens to be a graffiti style. Right. So tell me, I, I know that you've always been interested in entrepreneurship. We're kind of getting at the crux of that, right? Where you're saying now yeah. graffiti's actually uh, being marketed. Yeah. What was, that, what was that leap like for you? Because you've always been just in general interested in entrepreneurship to saying, hey, I'm going to go from, and forgive me for using the word, doing this as a hobby or maybe doing yeah. this as an outlet, creative expression, to now launching your own business and your own gallery. What's that been like? It was seamless for me because when I was at Endicott, I started a clothing company my junior year. So I, I was very familiar with branding and that was like 2015, 2016. Instagram was kind of just really picking up as far as, you know, brands really using it as a marketing tool. I come, I left in January of 2023. I had the company for seven years and just wanted to take a break from fashion to take a step back and, and reevaluate how I wanted to reapproach fashion. So within the midst of all of that, right when I, I graduated in 2017, I got cancer in my carotid gland, which is in your face. And I had to have two extensive surgeries, which I wasn't able to use the computer or anything because the Blu-rays would give me migraines and I would have seizures various medical issues. A couple of days after my surgery, I walked into my New York apartment and there was an easel and I brought the easel up. I had a buddy bring me some paint and I always worked on Illustrator and Photoshop, which is very like layer based. Each color is a different layer and stuff. 
So when I started painting, I started painting robots that were just, you know, expressive robots with wires coming out of their heads and stuff. And I started painting these characters and I called them dead mafia. And they were like, almost like my friends because, you know, I was just in bed all day. Right. And then it was kind of seamless because I started just, instead of posting clothes on Instagram, I just started posting literally what I was doing because that's all I could do. And I started selling some artwork. There was an event on the town green in Madison, Connecticut, which is where I'm from. And I sold my first couple of paintings for like $40. They're really small paintings. And then, you know, that kind of motivated me to be like, oh, people like this. I'm going to show more of it on the internet. And I don't have a big following or anything, but that's kind of where it all started to get, in, to get to the galleries and get to the point of like private collectors and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, then I started selling robots and then I had my first show in the Lower East Side, like 85 Orchard Street was this very, very small one room, like just empty white, white walls. And I, ha- I was doing a lot of Pooh Bear paintings at the time. So I had my first gallery there. So then from there, we, I started connecting with other artists that were painters in the city and started joining them on their shows from there kind of rebooted the clothing company while like a year and a half after I was sick. So I I got a space in Chelsea that acted as a showroom for clothes, as well as a gallery. It was a huge basement space. So I was able to throw a lot of events there and stuff like that. And then I would say that was the turning point of me really taking it serious, which was probably a year, year and a half into painting, where it's like, oh, I can, you know, really see the future in this. And then. From there, I never wanted, I I was always just experimenting and trying different things. So I never wanted to put myself in a, in essentially a box. Right. So when you don't want to put yourself in a box, you kind of think of your branding and stuff. And that's when I came up with refined graffiti was, I was like, uh, people, people keep asking me what kind of art I make. My vision is to really pave my own path through this industry and allow myself to not stand alone, but just have my own piece of, of, I guess, essentially history. And that's when refined graffiti happened, which is a year and a half ago now. So, you know, that, that whole entrepreneurship, like branding aspect of refined graffiti took five years to get to like my, my brand, but through my clothing company, I learned about trials and tribulations. I learned about kind of just going with the flow and how in any business, you're going to have ups, you're going to have downs, you're, you're going to be forever reinventing yourself. There's competition that comes out every day, especially now with Instagram and how much people are marketed to, you have to kind of separate yourself because everyone's numb to it. So yeah, it was just, you know, just the entrepreneurship journey of just taking your time and trusting the process. And now. I've gotten to an end brand in refined graffiti that I, I feel really comfortable with and that I can, I can kind of see myself going with for the duration of my career. Well, you sound really comfortable and for our listening audience, you know, that this is a podcast about change and transition and it is a fair thing to say that you went through a very lengthy and complicated medical journey. Would that be fair? (laughs) Yes, that is a fair thing to say. So what? Is it when you were going through that, that time of really enforced quiet time, right? What did you learn about yourself that you didn't know before? 
I think it forces you to like really get to know yourself. I think a lot of the issues in our society, which is very broad because it's not everybody, is that people don't take the time to get to know themselves, but there's so many distractions. I think it allowed me to take the time with myself and my own thoughts and, and kind of think about what I wanted to do with whatever I was going to do moving forward. It allowed me to find something within art that I never like knew that I had, or I, I never even felt like an obsession with something until, until that happened. I always say I'm thankful for what, what has happened and it, it allowed me to I think like settle into my life as weird as that set as that is not weird at all. um, There's just so many moving parts when you're, when you're growing up and your brain is developing and you know, you're getting to know yourself and like, I got sick kind of at the time where your brain is almost fully developed, right? 23 years old. So, you know, from 23 to 25, I was really just with myself and my own thoughts. I wasn't going out. I lived in New York, but I wasn't like going out in the, you know, a new city or, or, or doing the first time job or kind of what all the people around me were doing. I was in and out of the doctor's office. I was in my apartment, just painting for hours on end. And you spend a lot of time alone when you're an artist and especially a painter, you spend a lot of time alone with your own thoughts and I spent a lot of time with family and my medical journey just allowed me to kind of like settle into what, who I am as a person and what's important to me for the time that I'm, I'm here. You know, some people never get to that point, Kyle. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I know. You you had a difficult (laughs) journey and to get to that point, but some people never get to that point of self-actualization is what they'll call it. What about society? helps to inform your art because when i look at it i i see things that speak to me and i'm sure if someone else looked at it they'd see different completely different things that would speak to them yeah and see that's the point i don't have i need i don't know how to say this correctly but i don't have like a stand i'm more of just an observer i like to observe everything that's going on whether from one side to the other It doesn't matter what side I like to observe everything that's going on. And, you know, I like to sit with it and I like to kind of just give my opinions, but give my opinions in a way that can be taken in different ways. Mm -hmm. Like the painting behind me here, you know, it's an, it's an Amazon, it's a world war two plane with an Amazon logo, Mm -hmm. dropping, dropping a bomb on a kid, a little kid's lemonade stand with a man holding a sign support local businesses and that i i didn't paint it what was it 2022 so i painted it when covid was kind of ending but you know that was just me observing the amount of amazon trucks that were doing deliveries during covid and then my dad owning a small business he owns an old school house deli in madison and he had to you know he's lucky essentially that he made it through COVID and it was just two opposite worlds. I would see all these Amazon trucks, especially when I moved to Florida, I saw so many Amazon trucks. I saw, you know, my dad struggle through COVID and it was just kind of, you know, 
it, it's an aggressive painting, but it's just about the grip that Amazon has on our society. Right. And I don't not like the company. I don't think it's a terrible company. I think it's an ingenious idea. I, I took it to the extreme having them drop a bomb on a child's lemonade stand because it's, you know, I growing up, I would sell lemonade for 25 cents. I made the lemonade a dollar in the painting because of inflation, obviously. Yeah, I can see inflation. Yes. <laughs> might be a dollar yeah, so, 25 now. <laughs> yeah. I took two completely opposite worlds where you could probably order you know, lemonade packets on Amazon for pennies on the dollar. But that's still taking away from the kids' lemonade stand. So it's kind of just the two opposite worlds and and, and how I saw them at the time. Yep. I I love cooking. My dad's professional chef, so I grew up in a house just always cooking. And so I, I'm in the grocery store pretty much every day and you know, happiness is different for everyone else, but happiness for me is, you know, cooking a good meal with friends coming over. I, I'm constantly a friend here because I'm always cooking. I, I thought of like how much is happiness? Like happiness to me is right. simple. It's, it's just a home cooked meal. And I, ju I just would see all the prices at the grocery store and like how, you know, on a, on a minor scale, how much that affects people. Like you never. I never thought about buying eggs until, you know, it, until they were six dollars. Until right? they six dollars a dozen. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that that that's kind of where that idea of painting comes. But someone could take that completely differently. Like I had I, I texted one of my friends that painting and they were like, Well, that's a little controversial because it's a girl holding five hundred dollars and it says, How much for happiness? Like, is she a prostitute? And I was like, Right. Not even close to what I was trying to say, but I appreciate you having that, like seeing it and having that. So I, I try to say something with my paintings without, without having so much being on one side or the other side, because I think that art is meant to be taken in. And I think it's meant to be seen for, it's in the eye of the beholder. Like it's right. how you're supposed to see it when you look at it. That's why so many people see so many different things when they look at the Mona Lisa, right? That's been exactly of years, right? There's and that's why it's one of the best. That's why it's arguably like <laughs> the best painting ever, right? Like, and and so in in some of your paintings, you use pretty big celebrities, so like Muhammad Ali, Farrah Fawcett, John yeah. Lennon, right? Picasso, and, right here. I'm doing Picasso behind you, yeah. exactly right. So tell me a little bit about that. Midway between thinking of refined graffiti and starting to paint, I thought of a quote, and this is when I started going into galleries in New York and seeing, you know, Picasso drawings in frames on, on walls and seeing kind of just the bigger artists. My quote was here for a period of time to create something that will last forever. And the reason that I do I icons and I, I parlay them with that quote is they really are massive inspiration to me. They were here for a period of time, they created something and they lasted forever. They're still being spoken about. The Muhammad Ali painting is a refined graffiti across his mouth and then a lock on his, on his mouth. And that has to do with the stand that he took not going to war. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that you can talk about his boxing career all you want. He's best, best boxer ever, in my opinion, but. For someone of that caliber at that time in his career to take a stand like that, that's something that 
in history is, is spoken about. And it's something outside of his career that's spoken about. And then there's my pigment to sound was all related to seventies rock and roll artists. And you have John Lennon, you have Jerry, you have Elvis, you have all of these amazing names and people who lasted forever. There's like a beauty in that era because it was before social media, it was before anything. They were just making true art. So I think there's like a little bit of an infatuation with mm -hmm. life, life before social media and life before all of these things that we have, these artists were just doing what they did and they're still spoken about to this day. They changed the culture of the world. I think. Right. Kyle, you strike me as an old soul. I mean that as a compliment. You know that's a compliment, yeah. right? But yes. And and so do you feel like you're you yourself are at that inflection point where you've got this great respect for these historical figures who were change makers? But yeah. also too, you've got an eye, you've got robots, right? So yeah. None of those people were thinking about robots or AI, frankly, which is a whole nother podcast you and I should do about AI <laughs> yeah. and art. But do you feel sort of that push and pull within yourself? So I went to a convention put on by Steve Sabo. He's a genius and there was panels and stuff and it was focused on AI. There was a woman who owns a company that sells digital art, Jessica Santiago, CEO of Art Republic. She spoke. She was talking about how Sotheby's brought on digital art, AI art last year and did 35 million their first year. Mm. I didn't know about any of this. So this was really eye-opening to me because I dabbled in the AI art, but just as much as like, you know, typing something in funny, like alligator riding a motorcycle, wearing a tutu. That was funny, but it wasn't artistic. And she talked about how a lot of the artists that she works with have studied art. They know so much about art history and they're teaching this AI all this input. So they're inputting all of this information that's from the artist's brain into AI and they're making these immaculate pieces, but mm -hmm. they're not just typing in some random thing. They're coding the AI with all of the information that the artists have in their head. And now this AI is generating art. It was cool to hear that. I was like, okay, well, that's a different sector of art. And I remember on 27th street in Chelsea, it's gotta be six years ago now. Probably I went to Philippe Guggenheim's gallery. I had a painting auctioned off there, but there was a piece and it was AI generated and it, someone taught a robot or some, some AI, the art industry from American art from the start of time to present day. And it challenged the AI art to make art that would come in a hundred years. And I mean, I didn't like the piece was the story behind the piece was cool. I, aesthetically, I wasn't like, oh, I love this, but you know, you were intrigued by it. I was intrigued by it. And then hearing, I was thinking about it yesterday, hearing that yesterday, I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. So I kind of had a change of heart yesterday. So if you talked to me last week, I would have been like, ah, I don't get it. I don't know. I don't understand it. But now I'm looking at it as a challenge to myself. Like, how can I integrate this? Mm. into my art, but how can I integrate it in a creative way? That's not just 
throwing words into a computer. Maybe it's a project that I work on for five years and I teach a computer or I teach AI for five years and it doesn't come out for five years. Right. Maybe it's not for me. Maybe it doesn't work for me. So, but I'm definitely in the mindset of, of accepting it and, and wanting to learn more about it now than I was before. Well, something that's very different, I would say is not AI inspired in a good way is your art around bikes as well. And so yeah. I was struck, I was looking at your own online gallery. There was a bike there it was like a chopper style bike, red with markers where bullet casing supposedly had been. So tell me a little bit about that, the crime scene bike. That was the final stage of that bike. My buddy brought it to my apartment and I was like, I'm going to splatter this for the photo shoot. So I splattered that bike. It's in a photo. It's in, it's in like, you know, we shot photos on that bike. Then that bike was in 375 showroom in Brooklyn. They now are in the Lower East Side, but they were just starting their like celebrity shopping showroom. They're like, we need an installation. And I kind of thought about the life of this bike. I, we would ride the bike around the city. Like the bike had really gone through a bunch of things. It had had a life. It had a life. And it, it, I looked at it and I was, there's, the news is crazy. If you watch the news, you see a lot of things. I watched the news. It, it kind of inspires me for, you know, gets me thinking. I was seeing a lot of stuff that was happening on the news and this would make sense. And this would be a really cool kind of way to portray something. I'm going to get this bike. I'm going to do the crime scene around it. And then my buddy was making these, these hands at the time. They're like resin poured hands. Mm -hmm. And there was one with a rose in it. And we, he would be in my apartment. He made this rose hand and we dropped it and it broke. So I was like, Hey, can I get that hand? Can I add it to the bike? And then I ordered the, the crime scene signs off of, uh, Amazon and the bike kind of came together that way. That bike was a, a, a super long journey to get to its final, its final stage. From there in my last gallery, we did the bike of life, which I never took a great picture of, which I'm upset about. I made a box and I put, I put flowers in the box and then I painted the bike with orange silicone and it was supposed to represent a cone and then i put a green lock on the bike mm -hmm. and that was supposed to represent you're in new york city it's all concrete but you know you see some flowers and stuff so that <laughs> represented flowers growing out of the concrete then there was a purple one the bike of life which had birds and flowers and all these things on that on it that was representing life and lavender purple is my favorite color and that happened kind of as I started being able to live a more normal life again. Mm -hmm. So that was almost like me coming back to life. We again rode that bike all over New York City. <laughs> this is not in good condition. <laughs> but it had fun. But it had fun. And 375 Showroom has always been a big supporter of my bikes. I really appreciate them for that. Um, we acquired a city bike during the riots and everything that was going on in New York and it was shown in their showroom and it really represents what was going on in New York city during those times on the front of the bike, there is some people protesting. Um, there's flames on the sides of the bike on the back panel. There's, there's a police car on fire. There is a subway on fire. So it kind of represents what's happening that part of history will be talked about forever in New York yes, it City. Will be. Yeah, it, yeah it, absolutely. So your work 
is it true it has come to the attention of Cardi B and Missy Elliott? Yeah. How did that happen, Kyle? So it, it was in Cardi B's music video. This was a while ago. I had just started painting. Her set designer is one of my friends. He gave me a call and he was doing set design for Cardi B and LL for a music video. He's, you know, he's a big Spanish artist. And Cardi B's side of the room was like pink and really pretty. And El Alfo's side of the room was, you know, there's records on the wall and it was more gritty. And he was like, I just had this idea. I think your art would be perfect. And he showed them the art and they picked two paintings. And he's like, all right, you got to be here 30 minutes. It's like, oh my gosh. And it was in, I think it was in Brooklyn. So I had to run. It was late at night. It was like 1130 at night. It wasn't like a planned thing. I told my friends, I got to go. What? I said, I, I got to go. Yes, yeah, that you have to go for, Kyle. Yeah. So I was really excited. Yeah. I grabbed my, the two paintings they picked, called an Uber. Uber denied me. He told me, he's like, my Uber's for people, not paintings. And I was like, all right, whatever. Yes. Simultaneously, one of the big yellow cabs pulled up and I explained to him what was happening. And he got me there in record time. It was a massive set. So that was really cool. And then. Missy Elliott, I am really good friends with some people that shoot photos for her uh, record label. And she won the Icon Award at the VMAs four years ago now, probably. So a photographer showed the record label some of my work. And I was doing work on Air Force One shoes at the time. They got a pair for her for at the congratulations for her award. And when she got the pair, she didn't want to wear them because she wanted to put them in a glass case. Wow. And I, I did another pair for her that she said that she was going to wear. That was a really cool experience. Which just goes to show uh, you have to always be prepared. So the, it looks, it sounds like, you know, the opportunities fell in your lap. They didn't really, because it was well, yeah. Work. So the Missy Elliott thing that's... I had, the Missy Elliott thing, they, I, Acquired the shoes at 8 p.m. And they were picked up at 6.30 a.m. the next day. I literally didn't sleep. Right. But you were prepared for that. And I think that's, if there were a lesson I'd want our listeners to take away is that what looks like sometimes just happenstance, there's really a lot of preparation that goes in and just being ready. So yeah. what's one painting, one subject that you haven't done yet? And if you don't want to give away any secrets, that's okay too. But what's one thing that you feel compelled to tackle? So I've been doing it slowly. I've been doing these oil paintings. I love Picasso. He's my favorite artist of all time. He was a true artist. I think what he did really well was like really paint what was going on in his life. As far as painting about the Spanish war, the bullfights, painting self-portraits of himself, painting his friends, all, all stuff like that. I think he did a really good job doing that. He did it in a way that was expressive that people can relate to. I was always scared of oil paint because I was like, oh, I'm not good. I've never used it. I don't know if I'll be good at it. Right. So I started messing around with it. I'm trying to get more into painting people and things that are important to me and actually documenting that period of time in my life. I was inspired by the Bastiat's painting, Joe, who it's a painting of a chef. And one of my friends from New York, her dad actually owned the restaurant and was, he, he is Joe. So, and my dad is a professional chef. So I 
some something happened and I saw the Joe painting and I that's what switch flipped flicked in my head and I was like, I have to paint my dad. So that was the first oil painting that I really did. And that it's a painting of my dad. And then the second one came after Art Basel this year. I had a show with Aces, which is a great company for sports culture, the mesh of sports, sports and culture and heavily basketball based brand. So I did some paintings of Kobe Bryant. I did these little cards that I handed out and Mm -hmm. partnering with them to do more stuff. It was a really cool experience. And then you go to the shows at Art Basel and they're inspiring and they're cool. And then you go to the convention center, which is all the heavy hitters like Picasso's, Basquiat's. Very inspiring. That was just something that I think it was all really remember. So I painted it. That's something that I'm trying to do more of. And then I, I want to do more bikes. And, you know, another thing I want to do more of is just challenging myself. When I first started making art, I didn't know what I was doing. So I was more willing to take risks. Right. And I feel like as you get, I mean, essentially as you train yourself more and more, you're, you don't take as many risks. So this year I'm really going to challenge myself to take risks. So within each painting, I want to challenge myself to, to at least feel uncomfortable for a little while while I'm doing it. Right. And, and the dilemma for artists is when you start to become commercially successful, and it sounds like you've got multiple revenue streams, you've got partnerships, is taking that risk on. I mean, like, yeah, I, yeah, that's, that's hard. So if someone wants to get themselves a piece of KW art, as it were, how can they go about doing that, Kyle? So if someone wants to get my art, they will just email me, the kwgallery at gmail.com. In which you will next get my cell phone number and we'll just get on the phone and it'll be, you know, that's, that's, I, I do have, it's, it's private right now. I do have a website that, that, you know, people can purchase from that I would send to them if they, if they wanted to, you know, make a purchase directly from a website. You know, I think the art industry is person to person. So just the kwgallery at gmail.com or LinkedIn, Kyle Wallach on LinkedIn. Or Instagram, KW period, refine graffiti, any of those, you know, shoot me a message and that I will probably return that message with my phone number and we'll get on the phone. I love it. See, still doing business person to person, Kyle. That's the Kyle I remember. Yeah, that's how you have to do it. (laughs) It's been great talking with you, Kyle. It was great talking to you. Thank you for having me. And if you know someone whose business is focused on the art or science of change, Or if you know someone who's had a big pivot in their life, I'd love to talk with them. So drop me a note at Deirdre, that's D-E-I-R-D-R-E, at repivotproject.com. See you next time.